Well now. Well now indeed. Is that TJ? Are we just taking turns to, for long pauses? Well, now that you mention it, you've got to love a pause. <laughs> Worst intro ever. Most of it was not speaking. <laughs> well, the pre-intro was in fact a soundtrack of me swearing at the various and sundry parts of my setup and you uh -huh. yawning. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair play. It's not been the... Uh, most animated? Well, maybe it is animated. Who knows? But yeah, we're 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 there. We're started. We're good. The episode has begun. Episode one three seven. We're it's all in the back. Let's just. How you doing? I'm all right, sir. I'm all right. But nobody cares, TJ. What they want to know is what are you writing with and on? <laughs> uh, nothing stranger startling. I'm still writing with the Blackwing four. Which is at the other side of my desk. Uh, a pencil that um, loves to be blunt, really, really wants to be blunt all of the time, which suits mm -hmm. Meg down to the ground. She loves a blunt pencil, but uh, I am a fan of a sharp pencil, which means that I'm just constantly either sharpening or wish I was sharpening this pencil, which is, it's not a criticism. It's just a reality of using a soft pencil, uh, but it is a nice, I like the kind of the Mars, uh, m not moon dust, but the, the, uh, regolith, I think, is the technical term. Basically, like the, the kind of the dust, the kind of dusty Mars surface finish they got going on. That's mm -hmm. cool. Um, but yeah, I, I'm writing away with that. Nothing stranger startling. And in my regular bits and pieces, I got my pocket notebook, I've got um, my journal, and I've got a few other bits and bobs like craft paper, post-it notes, and a big word pad thing that I use for writing scribbly notes when I'm doing work. So nothing stranger startling. I must admit, nothing terribly exciting. Indeed, I, I think, look, next week we're going to have to make an effort, all right? That it, it, you heard it here first, folks. We're, we're going to make an effort and, and do something exciting next week with, with writing with and on. It's, I'm in the same spot. I just realised I don't have I'm any like, show notes. I need to go and get my show notes. One second. <gasps> I just left heavens. all the paper on the other side of the room. And now I'm uh, tangled in some chaos. sort of... Oh, there's cables everywhere. I'm just going to make a bunch of noise and not be present for, say, 20 seconds. So deal with that. I'll sing a song or something. It'll be fine. It'll be great. <laughs> Sing a song of sixpence. Sing a song of sixpence. Well, if anybody was following, then they will know that a Cypriot woman returned from the United States. And rather than self-quarantining, she went to every single party she could find on the island and created 16 infections, 16 chains of infections. Um, and Headphones for our call. I've got headphones for... Oh, monitoring my he's ears. He's talking over me. He's oh, just carrying on. I can't <laughs> just didn't hear you. Um, you weren't in my ear yet. <laughs> oh, ladies and gentlemen, it's absolute chaos. Thank God for the editor. That's all I can say. He'll <laughs> fix it in edit post. Anything, just verbatim. That's what people are getting this week. <laughs> well, just in case anybody did hear what I was saying, this woman finally got prosecuted today, and it has long been rumoured that this woman is connected because she's never been named, and. The potential for her crime, which was just ignoring all of the quarantine rules, was a fine of 50,000 euros. Oh, jeez. She got hit for 600. Thousand? Or just 600? Nope. 600 euros. Ah. Uh, proof, if anyone needed, this woman is connected. 
Anyway, TJ, welcome <coughs> back. We've missed you. <laughs> Thank you. I've, I've gone and fetched a notepad, which is what I was missing when I said I think I have everything. I didn't. Uh, so I now have a single barrel 106 and my little <laughs> notepad to write our show notes because I like doing them by hand. So I'm going to judiciously Huge copy upgrade. up the four things we've talked about in the first four minutes of this podcast. Excellent. Well, I'm writing with a Harvest 320. Um, just just uh well, i suppose a couple of centimeters off steinbeck so mm. um i would say a day or two and this will be heading to the golf pencil uh holding jar um and i'll be i'll be somewhere else in the lucky dip what else have i got in the lucky dip i've got uh, oh, the lucky dip um so i've got a milan going at the moment as well a milan 2h that was a bit of a shock to the system when i wrote with that this morning um, i haven't <laughs> Fork. I haven't written with an H pencil for a long time. It's like, ooh, <laughs> this is a bit business-like. Um, and you really have to try hard to blunt those points. Uh, Meg would hate it. Yeah, you're basically writing with a fork. Of... <laughs> Here, have a nail. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's going to last a while. Anyway, sorry, enough. I've gone off on a tangent already, and we're only five minutes in. <clears throat> what have you been watching, TJ? Well, I finished Snowpiercer. Which is pretty good. That's the the TV show based on the movie, which I think is based on a comic book, maybe. Uh, there was a Korean film that came out oh, six or seven years ago. It was really good, really weird, really strange, but very good. Uh, and then they made a series uh, with one of the people from Hamilton in it. I cannot remember his name, but he is okay. Washington and he's also Lafayette. I can't for the life of me remember his name. TJ from the future here. Uh, normally I don't chop in any edits, but this is so egregiously wrong I wanted to fix it. The the man's name who I forgot, uh, which is a travesty in itself, is David Diggs. He is wonderful. And he played Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, not Washington, which I think I said. So consider me corrected. But he's a fantastic actor. Uh, and he's sort of the lead in this TV show adaptation. Which is really good, really interesting, really kind of gritty sci-fi, my kind of thing. Uh, so I finished that this morning, and it was brilliant. Uh, and then last night I went to the cinema to see The New Mutants, which is a new... Uh, it's it's a, one of those weird... Uh, like, it's a TV or it's a film studio that's not Marvel, but it's an association with Marvel because it was X-Men, because X-Men was Marvel, but it wasn't with Marvel. This whole complicated, and then the whole Disney buying Marvel thing... This is 14 layers of abstraction and obstruction of what's happening. Suffice Mm -hmm. to say, it was a Marvel thumbsed up movie about mutants, uh, sort of vaguely set in the X-Men universe, uh, but not with any of the X-Men in it. Um, And it was good. It was a really interesting idea for a a sort of superhero film, I suppose, because there wasn't really any fighting crime. It was more of a haunted house horror film. Really interesting mm-hmm. take. Um, I'd heard mixed reports, most of them poor. Um, and and my friend had said, no, it's, it's garbage. Don't, don't even think about saying it. Or if you do, you don't have high expectations. So I went in with, with resolutely low expectations. I was actually quite pleasantly surprised with how much I didn't hate it. I mean, I wouldn't say it was the best film ever, but it was enjoyable. So the New Mutants finished that. And then they just dropped season two of the boys on amazon prime so i'm probably going to give that a watch this weekend cool what's the boys that's the superhero one 
So okay. it's very superhero week by accident. Um, the Boys is what if Superman was real and owned by a corporation and had very flexible morals. Oh, oh that mm. sounds quite fun. It's good. It's really, really dark. It's really, really gritty. Uh, it's just well done as well. A good story with believable characters in a world where they do unbelievable things, which is hard to do sometimes. Uh, so season one's great. Season two has just launched, so I'm excited to to finish that. Fabulous. Well, you've been busy. Um, well, I, this episode has, uh, judging by the show note at least, become the thank you to Slack episode. Um, so... Remember a few a few shows back uh, afterwards, everybody sort of came on to the group and said, Stu, what you need to do is get yourself a Kindle Fire Stick. And mm-hmm. I did. Um, and just yesterday, I've been using it to watch Apple TV. Um, but just yesterday, I thought, oh, maybe I should set up Netflix on this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because I have Netflix coming through. It's, it's weird. It comes through a sort of Blu-ray player TV combo thing. Yeah. Um, and the most notable thing about it is that it's got the weirdest volume settings. So you have to turn the volume up to like 65 or 70 <laughs> to hear the dialogue. Yeah. And then, and then you get a musical break and the windows shatter. It's <laughs> very, very odd. Um, yeah. and then I set it up through the, the fire stick and lo and behold, it behaved well, like a normal sort of television. Excellent. Great. Uh, so that's now my primary TV watching device. It's got mm. a remote control. Uh, Apple TV users will find this difficult to cope with. Um, this is a, a remote control that uh, is self-evident, um, easy to use, discoverable, uh, works. Uh, so all the things <laughs> that the Apple TV one isn't, really. Uh, so... Uh, it's not often you'll hear me say anything positive about Amazon, but there you go. Um, that was quite a find for me. Uh, <laughs> and as a consequence, I've been watching loads and loads of TV. So Mrs. L, this this is a historic moment. Somebody timestamped this. Did a bit of binge watching. Mm. That's never happened. So three whole episodes of Breaking Bad. Now, I appreciate that for many people that that is not binging. It's about two but, hours. It's just like a film. Well, it's getting, cl- getting close to three hours, Breaking Bad, you know, something like 50 minutes ago. Okay, like fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and it's Lord of the Rings. Uh, yeah, in fairness, yeah. I mean, 15 minutes of anything tends to send Margaret to sleep. So uh, <laughs> this, this is high, high yeah. praise indeed. Uh, we're on season two now. Um, and we're, well, we're three scant seasons away from running into the Cypress Netflix roadblock where everybody else is going, no, there's about nine or ten of Breaking Bad. Yes, there are, but not. <laughs> not here. Yeah. So uh, we may have to sort of find a way of slowing things down so that um, we, we, we get season six at least. Uh, and also Coach Ted Lasso, the one I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. Um, watch one of those. There's a little bit of uh, light relief. And the Margaret's Gone to Bed show is uh, Mythic <laughs> Quest. I thought I'd give that a, give that a run out. Um, Raven's Banquet, mm-hmm. the one you, you recommended. Uh, jury's still out. I thought I was going to bin it after one show, and then I thought, well, no, come on, be fair, give it a chance. Uh, <laughs> and, and the second one prompted me to watch the third. Oh, so it's, it's not bad. Just about got its its fingernails into me. <laughs> uh, um, 
I suppose the best way to explain my feelings about this is I loathed The Office. Okay, right. Um, mm. And I, I think we've spoken about it before. There's Ricky Gervais is probably the one person on the planet who elicits a violent psychopathic reaction from me, just the mention of his name or the sight <laughs> of his face. I have no idea why. The man has never done anything to me. Um, but uh, for that reason and the, the type of humour in The Office, I just never really enjoyed it. And there's a certain echo of that in Mythic Quest, I think. Yeah, it's a workplace comedy. Awkward interaction. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever watched The American Office with Steve Carell? No, lots of people have said to me that that's far better than the British one. But it's I've, I've never tried it. Different. It's one of those ones where you get a real divide over opinion. I've watched mm. the first episode of the, the British Office, which was the original, and didn't really mm. like it. I was like, it's fine. But I was in the, the odd situation of having watched the American one first. So I was comparing the subsequent version to the, the first version. Sure. Well, most people were doing it the other way around. Uh, I really, really like the American version. I think it's really, really well done. I think it's a great story. Uh, I finished it just earlier this year. I think I watched it again. And I really enjoy it. I think, I think it does hold up well. And I just couldn't get into the British one. And a lot of people have said, are you doing it wrong then? Because the British one's better than the, the American one. I went, well, the American one went for, what, seven, eight seasons. The British one went for two. There's mm. a certain argument that, yes, maybe after four seasons they were done and the rest was just hanging on but even then double who knows mm. yeah i mean you're you're very much in the mike hurley camp he's a big fan of the american office and not not wild about the british one yeah i mean i would say if, if i think it's on netflix it's certainly on on uh, uk netflix give the first episode in fact the first episode is not a good chart because it does really get better after season one um mm. jump into any episode i imagine from season three or four onwards because they're all good and they're, they're relatively self-contained um, and see if it elicits that same kind of vomit-inducing anger. Uh, if it does, don't watch anymore. And if it doesn't, there's a lot of it, and it's very good. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, I, I, I missed TV from about 1990 to 2018. So I've, <laughs> I've got a lot that I can dip into with, yeah. without investing in stuff that I might join. Um, and yes, I just... If it hasn't got Ricky Gervais in it, it, it won't get that violent reaction from me, which, which is good. <laughs> a man of my age needs to be careful with these things. Uh, what about listening? Have you been listening to anything good? Uh, Music-wise, mostly the same stuff, but I did actually listen to a recommendation of a podcast that I hadn't listened to before, and I think it's the one that you're maybe listening to as well. This is a suggestion from Marcus in Slack. Yep. Writing and Breathing with Anthony Johnson, uh, which is a podcast about writing, uh, in his interview with John Gruber. So I'm all the way, three quarters of the way through that, listening during this, this afternoon. It's really, really good. It's really interesting. I like the conversation. I like the tone. Uh, it's very in, easy to listen to. It's very interesting content that they're covering. Um, and yeah, not, not a podcast I would normally listen to. Um, I find that my podcast appetite has gone way down. And there's maybe two or three that I'll listen to. The rest, it's not that I, I dislike them or I don't want to listen to them ever it's that i don't want to listen to them now and that mm -hmm. definition of now is extended over the past six eight months i'm not sure what it is i just i've fallen out of the way of listening to them so it would be unusual for me to to pick up a podcast that i, I don't normally listen to and listen to it mostly because i don't have a commute or i don't have any way to like consume that time i'd be actively listening and a lot of the work i do i can't 
necessarily do that. So there's very few windows or pockets for me to put these podcasts in. But it was a suggestion in Slack. Sounded like an interesting one. Thought, you know what? Why not? Why not throw it and see what happens? And yeah, fascinating stuff. Yeah, I'm uh, exactly the same recommendation. Uh, I picked it up, had a listen to it. I've got, oh, I suppose I'm about 80, 90% of the way through. Um, John Gruber's a much better guest than he is host, um, <laughs> which I suppose uh, tech folk might disagree, but um, uh, he can be a little... Um, this is the pot calling the kettle black, but he can be a little tangential when he's hosting and sort of disappear <laughs> off down various and sundry rabbit holes and start talking about baseball for 20 minutes. Who would ever do that? That is, I mean, that's just crap. Perish never thought, honestly. <laughs> I'm just side-eyeing um, the first nine minutes of this, this episode. Unconsciously. <laughs> is that a verb? Have you just invented a verb there? Side-eyeing? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> it might be a, it might be a verb. If it isn't, it is not. Well, I, it certainly is now. Quick, copyright it. Um, <laughs> but he, um, I, I suppose, the discipline of answering questions, mm. uh, he sounded much more considered and, and uh, dare I say, slightly saner. Uh, <laughs> and, I mean, it is, it, if you like writing or you, you do any writing, which, as the episode title might suggest, uh, we both do, um, it's, uh, it's very interesting. Very interesting because mm. he's you know he's been knocking around for a while he's written a lot of words yeah um so yeah i've been listening to that just this after well, just before we started this podcast i was listening to that in fact um and my usual sort of diet of of techie podcasts it's apple uh lunatic season is upon us so um, <laughs> yeah will will they release new ipad airs in the 15th will they release a new phone on the 19th who's to say no one cares I'm, I'm literally... uh, yeah. <laughs> the the rumor machine, as always, has been at full pelt. So there was a huge rumor that they were going to release, um, what was it watches and iPads on the fifteenth? Um, then it turned out actually there's an event on the fifteenth. So now everybody's going ah, so it'll be an event for the watches and the iPads. There won't be any phones. Well, but there might be phones. Or could there be the first phones and not the second phones? <laughs> well, to phone or not to phone. That is the question. Six days uh, from recording time. So probably, what's that in real It'll be done by the time people listen to this, won't it? Uh, well, the event will be. Yeah. Um, but given that this is 2020. <laughs> Who's to say? I mean, exactly. I mean, they may well be turning around and saying, yes, there's a new phone coming out in 2027. I mean, I, nothing would surprise me at this point. <laughs> so I just I'll, want I'll give you an <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I'm going to scare you, you know, okay? Yeah. You are seated, aren't you? I am, I am. All right. One of the nominees for the Nobel Peace Prize announced mm. today. Yeah. Now, this is a non-political show, but I struggle to understand how anybody is suggesting that the current president of the United States, uh, that's the place that is currently racked by interracial violence, would be a candidate for the Nobel Peace Prize. I, I, I don't mm. know. But then again, I suppose um, I'm ignoring those great strides forward in career. Well, well apparent strides forward. Anyway, 2020. <laughs> a funny old year. A bit of a nightmare. Just skip it. Yeah. 
2019, 2021. There we go. Sorry. Absolutely. Talk, talking of which, the whole 2020 <laughs> thing, you and uh, Meg got under the wire, didn't you? How do you mean? Well, I mean, today in the UK, it has been announced that gatherings of more than six oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. are well, not allowed. Now, in fairness, weddings haven't been hit yet. Yes, and those rules it, are for England, not the devolved governments. So we, we don't have our, we, we don't follow those rules de facto. We have our own decisions on them. But yeah. Yes, it's, you have a chat about it and then do the same thing. Yes. Well, sometimes and sometimes not. They have a chat and go, ah, no, thanks. We'll not be doing that. Or no, thanks. That's not nearly enough. We're going to do more. Um, which, which makes it even more complicated. Um, being part of the UK, living in the UK, whenever the rules are inconsistently uh, well, inconsistent and inconsistently enforced across the UK. It's quite confusing at times because we'll open up BBC News and it'll go, this is what you can do now. And we're going, right, okay, but is it what we can do now? No, right, okay. <laughs> Caveat, asterisk, it's... The local, the local equivalent to come on after the main bulletin. Yeah. yeah, and it's just a wee bit convoluted and a wee bit complicated. But yeah, we, we are so happy that we finally got the wedding over and done with sounds like we didn't want it to happen or that it was sort of begrudged, but you have sure, no idea. You, you probably do have a fair idea of how much hassle and stress it is, but it's probably rose tinted by time. Mine is yeah. a, a fresh and, and weary experience of, is this ever going to work? Are we ever going to? And so getting married and being married and not having to deal with all the nonsense that goes into getting married is very, very, very good. And not having to worry about whatever things come into force. You know, um, certainly we feel like we got in under the wire. Yeah, you're right. It, it feels like we got, we got it out of the way. Again, not in a negative <laughs> way, but we finally sure. got married. We're delighted. We're really, really happy to be married now. And looking ahead, we have nothing planned. Literally, yeah. nothing is, is concrete in the diary. Like the wedding was the thing that we thought was concrete and then had to be moved three times. But that nothing in our calendars cannot be rescheduled with any kind of, yeah, okay, quick flourish and now it's on a Thursday. No problem. Um, we've no holidays booked. We're not planning to try and go on any holidays. Just let it be fluid. And that means we can be responsible uh, and abide by whatever restrictions, whatever rules there are in place. We can follow them. Yeah, it's, I mean, the... The tightening of restrictions or, or whatever it's called, I, I don't want to comment on it, that there is a huge amount of confusion. I think governments everywhere identified at the very start of this process that clear, simple messaging was important yeah. and then instantly stopped giving any clear, level-headed messages. So um, you yourself went and dined out um, profiting from a government scheme encouraging you to go and dine out where you get, you know, a discount of X yeah. percent and you know, go out and eat, get back to work. All of that stuff has been the push the last few weeks. Um, but you can't sit with seven people in your back garden. Yeah. yeah. If you want to go to the pub, crack on. But there's 200 people in the pub. Don't worry about it. Go for it. And the office, I, I work with 1,400 people. Don't worry. Okay, well, I'm going to have a few friends around. Don't do that. We'll arrest you. Sorry. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the sort of personal impact for us, 
um, and I have to say we saw this coming, is that we've had various friends and relatives saying, oh, do you know what? If you're going to have lockdown, Cyprus isn't a bad place to do it. Uh, and we said, well, you know, come. If you want to come, come. If you get locked down, don't worry, we won't throw you out. Um, and people have been on the cusp. Shall I? Shall, oh, it means getting on an aeroplane. And yeah, <laughs> me being me, I say, look, if you want to come here now, the borders have just opened. There are planes coming over, essentially empty, because everybody is feeling like you are feeling very nervous. Bite the bullet, put your mask on, put your gloves on, sit in a window seat and don't move until you get off the aircraft. Don't touch anything. Get here and you'll be fine. What you don't want to do is leave it until the autumn when there will be a second wave, when more people will be flying and it will probably be more risky for you to get a plane. Yeah. And guess what? That's exactly what's happening. And some people now are going, oh, right, okay. Um, the prices of flights are going up because everybody knows Cyprus is gradually excluding countries where case numbers are going up. So UK is is in the sights as it were it's going to get excluded so that's making more people jump on planes which is pushing the, the prices up and is making them i guess more risky the further complication is i don't know tj i mean most of our listeners probably don't know but up until january of 2020 the uk was part of a thing called europe um and now it's not now there's a a year's transition period, which ends, well, next January. So that's quite soon, I suppose you would say. Mm. Four months, is it? There are a lot of British people that live in Cyprus. Permanent residents, if you will. At least 30,000 of them don't have the correct paperwork. Ah. Either because they never bothered, because nobody really bothered about it in the old days, or because in the old days you used to get, um, we used to get an alien registration book, which is a lovely thing to own for anyone. I think it's my alien registration, um, <laughs> or even a stamp in your passport saying that you're a permanent resident. And those were those were the required paperwork. Now they're not, and having them does not excuse you from not having the new paperwork because, well, bureaucrats are bureaucrats. Now, to get that paperwork done correctly, you have to be in Cyprus. And if you're locked down in England, unable to fly back to Cyprus because you were visiting your children, mm -hmm. you're in a bit of a bind. Because if yeah. you don't get on a flight in the next couple of weeks, you probably won't get in this year. In <sighs> theory, you won't be able to come at all next year. Now, I'm, of course, that won't happen. There will be... Good sense will break out eventually. But it's uh it's getting complicated, this lockdown thing. Yeah. The whole difficulty of it and confusion of it. Governments do really look to be going round and round in circles at the moment. And I I mean I'm laughing, I mean it's not a laughing matter, but I do I do quite enjoy the criticism that you see everywhere. And I think, okay, I can see you're unhappy and I can see I can see you sort of picking the low-hanging fruit here. 
you're not suggesting a better way of dealing with it though <laughs> yeah that's that's kind of what i want to be hearing now yeah um, it's, but, it's one of those scenarios where there is no easy quick simple option to go yeah do that and everything's fine everything's a sure. trade-off everything's a balancing act everything means something else suffers if you big up this thing so you know you save the economy people's health takes a hit you save people's health the economy takes a hit you, you can't do you you can't have one without the other and so it's trying to balance all these almost competing thoughts so we need to get out and you know uh, be patrons of businesses so that they can not go bust but equally you can't go out uh, and you should not have people over but you should go back to work where there are people and it's just <laughs> there is no way to balance these things without just balancing them you can't say yeah, for sure these are on opposing ends of the scale uh, but do both. It's fine. That, that's what we're effectively being told. And because that's that's the only reasonable situation that we were in. It's the only reasonable response is that you have to be balancing these things. You can't say, focus on this and ignore everything else because that doesn't work. Um, but yeah, I don't envy anyone who is making decisions on this. I'm not saying that everything's been done 100% correctly. And I, I certainly believe that lessons will be learned. But <sighs> certainly not cut and dry and it's certainly not easy. No, it's, uh, you know, the, all the indications are, you know, we're settling in for another, another long term. It's, yeah. it's, you know, it's going to be a while. Uh, well, a happy and merry thought. What have you been reading, TJ? <laughs> I'm still reading Terry Pratchett, the light fantastic. I read a little bit more this afternoon. It's really good. I mean, I don't forget how good it is, but every time I pick it up, I'm almost, I'm almost daring uh, the late great Terry Pratchett to be like, come on, is it still good, as good as I thought? Like, is this still as good as I thought it was? And every time he rises to the challenge and he's like, yep. I'm like, oh, okay, no, fair enough. Because I'll, I'll go through and highlight things. There's a thing on Kindle where you can highlight mm-hmm. passages and save it. Um, and in a normal book, say a normal fiction, standard length book that might take you, well, it'd take you 45 minutes to read, but it takes any normal human being uh, a week, maybe two weeks. It's a summer holiday book, that kind of normal sized book you're thinking yeah. of. In that kind of book, there may be 10 highlights for me, 10 sentences, mm-hmm. paragraphs, even just words, something interesting and worthwhile that I think that's noteworthy. I want to note that down so I can reference it later. In a Terry Pratchett book of a similar length, there may be 50 or 60. And it's almost at the point where I'm like, I should just highlight the start go to the end and hit finish and just be like, the whole book is worth referencing again. There's so many little sure. moments of, of just wonderful writing, really interesting ways of characterizing not just people, but things and places and scenarios. And it just, every, every single one of those moments, it reminds me of the joy of reading Douglas Adams for the first time, where he describes, mm-hmm. you know, the spaceship hung in the air the same way a brick doesn't. That kind of like... <clears throat> It's just brilliant. It's wonderful writing. It 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 makes you question what what did, what does he mean? And it, it's almost confusing and wonderful and entertaining at the same time. And that kind of perfect little slice of writing, I find dotted through some novels. But the whole thing, the whole Terry, every Terry Pratchett book I've read so far has just been cover to cover, filled chock full of this stuff, and it's brilliant. It's yeah. such a joy to read. Uh, it's, and every time I ask you about it, you 
wax lyrical about it. I think, mm, I really need to go out and, and get back into that. And I'll probably do, as you're doing, start from the beginning. Yeah. Um, Completionist. Mm, yeah, that's me. Um, so what am I reading? Oh, I'm reading Lenny, uh, which is by, I, I was going to say this guy's name was B.R. Statham, but I don't think it is. I think it's B.R. Statham. Um, he's, uh, he's from the U.S. Uh, it's a, it's, it's categorized as cool noir. Um, what does that so, mean? Well, at the moment we've got a guy, um, who's sort of, you know, he's returned from a, a career in the army. Um, I'm not sure if his jaw has been described as chiseled, but it certainly is in, <laughs> in, in my mind's eye. Yeah. Um, and he's, you know, uh, fought off. 37 people with with his right arm tied behind his back and you know, cigarette hanging from his mouth type thing um so far quite good it's interesting it's you know it's dragging me onwards um and then i read something completely different a book called tainted love by t.s hunter which is um it's by it's published by red dog press or an independent press and it's a, what would you call it? It's a Soho cozy mystery. I've heard a lot about this, this cozy fiction. Okay. It's cozy, so, cozy yeah. mysteries are, they're quite short. Yeah. Um, they're sort of, you know, whodunit-esque. Like um, the Christie kind of vibes, yeah, like a Trudeau type job. Yeah. It's quite a sort of gentle feel. I mean, there's, there's violence and. Well, there can be violence, but it's it's generally cozy. <laughs> it's a reasonable, it's quite a comforting <laughs> read. It's, it's not one of those things that necessarily unsettles you when you read it. Okay. Yeah. And some writing um, definitely does do that. Yeah. Um, but then you take a, a cozy mystery and you drop it into the gay scene of Soho. Uh, Soho, London, for uh, these. <laughs> who's not following. Um, and that's an interesting juxtaposition in itself. So, certainly is for me. Um, I don't know if there is such a thing as gay literature, but I suppose I haven't come across that much where most of the, certainly all the leading characters are gay. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's really good. It's a great read. I think I read it in two days. Uh, it's quite short. Uh, and it's, it's a, it's, it's serious. There's a series of them, so I can see a future uh, yeah. running out in front of me. And it's an independent press, and all of those are things that I enjoy. So, um, really good read, and it was really cozy. I actually read it in the seat behind me, my little IKEA comfy seat, uh, where I occasionally have an afternoon nap. Um, <laughs> I sat there reading it, and uh, before I knew it, it was evening time. Uh, fabulous. Drinking. What are you drinking, TJ? I had what I imagine is one of the last iced coffees I'm going to have for a while this morning, um, which is good. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Is, that, is that some sort of policy decision or just a weather one? It, it's more of a, it's a cozy decision. So at a certain point, having iced beverages in the morning um, is less comfortable than having warm beverages in the morning. Uh, and I, I've okay. been mixing them up. I wouldn't, wouldn't have, you know, just iced coffee for these months of the year and then it transitions. But it was definitely a, a prevalence of iced drinks in the summer summer months, which is great. And then that transition towards hotter drinks. Once, once Mm -hmm. the pumpkin spice lattes roll out, I start getting warmer drinks and the pumpkin spice lattes are in full force. 
So I suspect this will be one of the last iced coffees I have for a while. Um, but yes, it was good. It's nice. Double espresso and a little bit of ice over some milk. Very nice. Very nice. I, I had some iced coffee myself today. I think several. In fact, it's still uh, as hot as Hades. <laughs> 64 degrees. You know, you go outside and are no, it's not tanned. It's gently simmered. Well, um, it's it's got the worst of everything at the moment. I went to bed last night uh, close to midnight. It was 29 degrees. Oh, that's not pleasant. <laughs> Anything over 20, I find quite difficult to sleep in. Yeah. 29, impossible. Um, but obviously the rest of life doesn't stop just because it gets warm. So I still have to get up early and I've been consequently grumpy all day. <laughs> just <laughs> sleep in the pool. Too hot. Just get a lilo <laughs> and sleep in the pool. <laughs> Yeah, that's a little bit like sleeping in soup. Uh, the pool is 30 degrees. <laughs> well, um, at least you won't notice if you're sweating. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's all relative. You know, if if the air temperature is 36 and you get into a 30 degree pool, it feels cold. But um, it isn't, <laughs> to be honest. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been really, really hot. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm very fortunate I've got an air con. Uh, in the office um, but sitting in aircon all day does have its uh, downside as well so quite literally I, I turn this off and I walk out of here when we finish recording and it's touch and go whether I pass out from the heat um, <laughs> the wall of temperature smacks you in the face it's like that moment you know when you get off an aeroplane you fly to yeah. a hot country and they open the a door lot of people go, are familiar oh. yeah oh why'd we come here oh it's warm isn't it oh jeez that's yeah, it's, desperate it's that it's that sort of three or four times a day as I leave the office. Um, but still. Uh, so now I'm about to, uh, once, once I get you onto a subject, I will go and raid the fridge. I, don't know which I might have an alcohol-free beer. Maybe a Bex Blue coming, coming my way. Very good. Uh, so what about shopping? What have you been buying? Um, not an awful lot. I'm patiently waiting not to buy the iPhone 12. Um, on your recommendation or non-recommendation, I'm waiting for the iPhone 12 to drop so that hopefully the iPhone 11's price will consequently drop as well. Um, and that's the only thing that's stopping me from getting a new phone is that it may change the pricing structure. And I think it could, but who knows. Um, but I'm, I'm patiently waiting to buy a phone by not buying another phone. <laughs> For sure. But it's one of those things that, you know, if, if a week saves you £100 or something. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah, it's worth, worth it for it. sure. Uh, and yeah, as, as we said, the rumour mill is in in full force, but it seems that uh, phones may be a little way off yet. The mm. new Apple ones, anyway. Your buying uh, section Marcus? looks like an Argos catalogue. It's huge. Oh, the, the, yeah, there was some definite... Um, well, how did all this happen? I had a couple of moments, I think. Uh, the first two are books, so they're fine. And I think, yeah, they're electronic books, so they're e-books. Um, and I was doing my... Uh, one year no beer videos uh, i don't watch them every day now i watch them uh over a week so on a sunday i'll watch seven videos from the last week they're about two minutes long and we're at that stage during this sort of one year no beer challenge where pretty much all he's talking about is what you and i would call stoicism and what he calls stoicism <laughs> um okay i mean i'm not saying it's wrong but it is different no like I say, I've got no idea. Um, and, you know, he's very passionate about it. And he, you know, 
does make the point many, many times that all of the sort of modern thinking that's so terribly fashionable, you know, Tony Robbins and uh, all of these guys, mm-hmm. they're just re- repackaging stoicism. Um, and so he refers back to a couple of books this week that he, he found really helpful in understanding uh, stoicism. So I, 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 like you, I sort of just took my nose and thought, okay, I'll, I'll look that one up, looked it up, thought, mm, yeah, all right, I'll invest whatever that was, a couple of pounds in that, and a couple of pounds in that. So I bought those. Um, and then uh, there's a whole lot of setup thinking going on as I <laughs> sort of transition into this, this world of the Mac driving everything. Uh, and it's that illogical stuff of, I really hate how my MacBook Pro looks next to my external monitor. <laughs> I, it just looks horrible to me. Yeah. It looks un- uncomfortable. So my initial thought was, okay, I will get myself uh, a monitor arm. And then I thought, am I going to get another monitor? Might mm, mm, ah. And so that's been in and out of my basket for a whole week um, until eventually it happened. And the only reason that there isn't a monitor already ordered is that all of the things on my list are ordered in the UK and sort of packaged by Claire and sent off to me. Uh, That's a little bit difficult to do with a 24-inch monitor. It's a lot of packaging and it's a lot of hope. It's a lot of faith in the uh, Cypriot postal system, I think. uh, Yeah, it doesn't go near the Cypriot postal system. It goes (laughs) UPS all the way. However, um, yeah, you're basically taking a sort of, I don't know, a 10 kilo box from from LG and putting it inside another box. Yeah, a 10 kilo box of glass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I um, I made some inquiries of local suppliers, uh, and I uh, schoolboy era I made those those inquiries by email, uh, which have probably been ignored. Uh, so, so I need to sort of pull my finger out, get in the car, and go and see people, wave my arms around, just get Mediterranean about the whole thing, and uh, find out if I can get hold of the one because I want the matching uh, monitor because I'm a sad individual. <laughs> matchy matchy just a pair yeah just the idea of having a different monitor which would be a different shape or a different color oh, i'm not sure i could cope tj um <laughs> so assuming that that all goes to plan uh, i will have two monitors sitting on an arm floating above the desk uh the um MacBook Pro will be off to the side, either in clamshell or when I'm recording screencasts, then I will use the webcam uh, under protest. Uh, because I discovered that I can use it from the side. Sort of When you're screencasting, you don't really need a full, full headshot of the no. guy talking. Um, so that, that kind of works all right. I appreciate you've probably got a lot to say on this. You could probably write me a manual on this, in fact. <laughs> probably. Um, Some documentation. And then I was listening to, oh, what is it, Mac Power users? And they were talking about dual monitor setups. Who, who would have thought <laughs> it? Um, and to have your MacBook Pro Power 2 4K monitors, um, you need to have the right pluggy bits. You need to be using Thunderbolt. Some sort of um, Fiesta going on of dongle persuasion? Well, it's a kind of, it's an anti-Fiesta thing. You buy a magic box. Um, 
and you have one connection to the magic box and then the magic box connects to everything else that's that's the theory okay uh, and and the magic box is the cal digital ts3 plus uh, which is i did wonder what this was that's good because i was going i don't know what that is i think it sounds like yeah. a calculator i'm not sure <laughs> it does a bit doesn't it um it's a it's a big thunderbolt hub uh, with okay. then right, right. USBs and all sorts going in. So your two monitors go into that, uh, along with your Ethernet, all of those other funky things. And you connect that to the MacBook. And then so the it's MacBook almost like power. you're saying this is some sort of plug cable that you plug into your MacBook that allows lots of cables to plug. It sounds an awful lot like a dongle Fiesta, if I'm being honest. It's just a really big dongle. <laughs> it's a really big Fiesta. <laughs> well, of course, all the best ones are, TJ. Um, and then uh, the other one is, uh, yeah, that's that's just pure indulgence, really. Uh, <laughs> Justin, Justin Twyford and I were sort of talking about this one. Um, and it's the, uh, I think we mentioned it last week, the ultimate hacking keyboard. Yeah. So you finally pulled the trigger? I did pull the trigger and um, I got a dispatch notification today. Uh, again, in, in the weird and wacky world in which I live, that means it's being dispatched to the UK. Uh, and then Claire <laughs> will, um, at her leisure, dispatch it on to me. I, I think you get at the, the one moment, with all the bits stuck on and the because this is a split board, right? It's it's left and right it, hands. It's the split board that you can tent and all that jazz. Um, and yeah, it's going to have a trackball on the right. <sighs> uh, so when I say the right, it's if you imagine where your hand sits on the keyboard, dear listener. Um, where your thumb is, your right thumb, uh, you're yeah. actually in space because the keyboard is split in two. Uh, and under that thumb, there will now be a little uh, trackball. So it's a sort of, uh, it's a modular attachment to the inside of the keyboard. Mm. Um, and then on the, under the left hand, there will be three uh, bespoke buttons, if you like. They're buttons that you can code to be whatever you want them to be. See? Uh, mm. Keyboards, <laughs> yeah, and it's got a it's got a walnut, um, a walnut coloured. I think it's beechwood actually, but wrist rest, oh, palm rest. So yep. By the time you you finish specking it up, it's a lot more money than anybody should ever pay for a keyboard. Um, <laughs> yes, because mine arrived. My uh, my huge. There's a heavy. Key. It's a heavy keyboard. Uh, no, yours isn't a keyboard, though. You can justify that as just a self-defense. Uh, it's a desk. It's just a small desk <laughs> sitting on top of my desk that happens to have buttons on it. It's glorious. It was... Um, shout out to the Keyboard Co. company. Keyboard company. Brilliant job. Uh, I'm really, really pleased with the keyboard. It's amazing. It's connected up to three different Bluetooth devices now. And with just a couple of button presses, I can flick between them. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's really, really, once you get it set up, it's really sturdy. Uh, so I have it connected to the iPad right now. Mm -hmm. That's me going up and down our show notes. What are those switches? Uh, Cherry Blues. So just just the noisiest, most obnoxious ones you can get. Mm -hmm. Although the, the keycaps for this, um, they're, they're not, um, to get technical, I think they're ABS um, screen printed ones, if you know what you're talking mm -hmm. about. Um, they could be PBT, but I think they're ABS. Um, and they're very light. They're not sort of really, really high-end premium keycaps. They're built for this and they're built to a price, uh, but they work really, really nicely and they sound mm -hmm. nice and they work nicely. 
I may still get some really nice um, double shot or um, PBT ones at a later mm-hmm. date because I do fancy that I have a full fancy set of keycaps. But to be honest, these these look great. And because of the makeup of them, they're not super heavy. They actually dampen the, the sort of clunk of a Cherry Blue yeah. Switch a wee bit. So they don't sound nearly as obnoxious as the, the other ones I have on my cheap keyboard, the Magic Magic Force 68, which is the other mechanical wired keyboard I have. They're much sort of higher pitched, like you can hear the, the tick in it a little bit more. Whereas this one, mm-hmm. it's a little bit more subdued. Uh, but it's it's glorious and it works really well. So it's connected to the desktop on the floor. It's connected to the iPad and it's connected to the MacBook and I can flick between them as well as my Logitech mouse, which happens to have three Bluetooth connections as well. So I can mm-hmm. flick between all three devices with keyboard and mouse. One setup, three devices. It's brilliant. Yeah. I've got the exact same setup now with, uh, with the Keychron K6. So yeah. my switches are not um, Cherry there. Was it Kaylee or? Keel um, or Gatoron probably. Yeah, I think these are Keel. Um, blues, so nice and noisy, but it is simply uh, a button press to move across yeah. three devices and exactly the same with the mouse. Um, so that is, that is pretty cool. I will, I will miss that. Mm. Um, although I suspect that the hacker can do it as well. I'm not sure. Um, the one thing I, I want to just go back on is I think I mentioned two books without ever saying what they were, which is a little bit harsh. Yeah, um, you did. You mentioned yeah, two <laughs> books that were there. Um, so TJ can see it in the, in the show notes. I've um, written them down, I, so they'll be in show notes, but no one knows what we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. The uh, books are The Philosophy for Life and Other Dangerous Situations by Jules Evans uh, and A Guide to the Good Life by William B. Irvine. Um, hmm. I haven't read either of them yet. But uh, if, if you're interested in that sort of thing, go and have a look. Um, and do I spy a new microphone in that show? Note? Oh, yes, the little Rode NT. Well, that was, um, as you were talking about, I was like, mm, yeah, I don't know if that's, oh, oh that's quite nice, actually. Yeah. Um, particularly now as I'm, I'm envisioning, uh, I'm going to have two big monitors. I mean, I'm essentially going to have two 24-inch monitors floating <laughs> at the back of the desk. Um, and then on the corner, I've got this quite, the road arm that I've already got is quite unwieldy, I have to say, particularly with, um, it's it's weird, isn't it? I think you said it last week. You can't unsee how big <laughs> yeah. the Yeti is once you've seen something smaller. Whenever you get the road mini and you have them side by side, you'll be like, why did I ever have this this behemoth of a mic? Like the, the little, the windsock on my blue Yeti is about the same size as the road anti mini. Exactly. That's exactly the, the, the setup. And so at the moment, I have this arm, which is now in front of me, obviously, um, is extended upwards. Um, and we'll get to, to, to why later, but my desk is a, um, adjustable, uh, not an electric one. It's a, it's a manual one. So I, I literally crank it up. Um, and during the afternoons, I, I stand, I don't sit. And this this thing looks as though it's some sort of weird probe about to go through the ceiling and, and emerge <laughs> in my kitchen. It, it just seems big and unwieldy, which is complete nonsense, obviously. Uh, but it's it's in my head now. So I was of of all Sorry. of the things that I've been sp- <laughs> splashing cash on, it was like, well, actually, that's that's not too expensive, um, because these monitors, four uh, K monitors, are. 
but surprisingly expensive. Mm. Um, which is yeah, what they, they probably do eat why, up. Well, it's probably why I haven't pulled the trigger. But even the um, the arm that I've got is the Jarvis um, arm. So there are ones that look perfectly okay on uh, on Amazon, made by uh, long Chinese name companies. Uh, but this is the wire cutter recommendation, and Jarvis are from. Is it fully? make uh adjustable desks and ergonomic furniture and stuff uh very much darlings of the podcast world they do a lot of um sponsorship uh and it's <laughs> you have to have a look at the jarvis dual monitor arm it looks as though if i do end up as a baddie in the doctor who episode i could use these arms <laughs> doctor octopus type thing yeah some sort of cyber monster uh <laughs> Look pretty serious things, uh, and clearly, all I'll do is I'll come over to your neck of the woods and pick up your keyboard and um, just batter people like some demented Kaweco, but in some sort of weird um, Doctor Who type universe. I think, I, th- I think your keyboard is the ultimate weapon. Mm. Mm. But yeah, that's, uh, that's so, a pretty good buying section this week. Oh, yeah, there's yeah, there's a once you add a um a monitor into that there's a lot of cash gone there yeah but uh I, i'm happy to say that my uh the sort of big boy business is now uh back up so a hundred percent of my clients are, are now paying which is nice good place uh, to be. As they, yeah as they sort of weather weather the uh the covid storm um I, i've probably cursed them by saying that but i hope not um so yeah that's kind of buying what have we got left? Well, parish notices. Parish notices. What's going on in the world of Cosgrove? Mr. Mm. Mrs. Cosgrove, it has to be said. Yes. Well, keyboard was one of them. I got my keyboard. It's great. I'm, in, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, the other one is just, just being married. Great. Really loving it. Really, really, really happy. Really yeah. relaxed. Just a big weight off her shoulders in terms of worrying about trying to get married. And just mm-hmm. focusing on being happy and being married. But I got to ask, do you ever get used to wearing a ring? Uh, yes. Um, uh, the second part of your question, um, <laughs> I, I do, I don't know what you do, but I tend to pull mine off and spin it. Yeah. Like I'm a, literally doing it like as little, we speak before you <laughs> just like as a little spinny toy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- that gets quite alarmed because this will go wrong, of course. And at one point your ring will spin off the table, probably mm-hmm. in a crowded restaurant. Yeah, uh, yeah. Probably go out of sight, and Train, Meg gutter. Meg, well, well, Meg won't say anything, uh, but you'll feel the twin points of heat as her <laughs> eyes bore into the back of your neck, uh, as you're on your hands and knees, desperately seeking this thing, and you won't even, you will not allow yourself to say the word drain or anything like that because. Your heart will be in your mouth. You'll be finding it difficult to breathe. There will be some sweating going on. The yeah, because I've dropped, is... I've dropped it a couple of times. Like I play with oh, it all the time. Um, and we were sitting in the living room the other night and I was doing my, I'll sort of pull it off and I'll flip it around my finger and put it back on. If that makes sense. Um, try and imagine mm-hmm. that visual. I'm just, I really like wearing it. It's very comfortable. Mm-hmm. It looks nice. It's just a simple silver band. Um, but I really, really like it. And I like just the way it looks and, I keep catching sight of it, and I'm, I'm really pleased that I have something to sort of mark uh, the, or sort of 
our dedication to each other and the kind of the, the importance of the whole institute of marriage to both of us. It's really nice to have a little something that, that sort of reminds you of that. And I enjoy playing with it because I, I, I'm not used to wearing jewellery. I don't really wear rings. I've never really worn a ring before. I wear mm-hmm. a watch most of the time, but it's not the same. And so it's a novelty and it's, it's distracting in a good way. Um, we were sitting on the sofa and I was doing this, sort of playing with it while we were watching TV. And I, I wasn't even aware that I was doing it. It was just kind of happening. Uh, and it sort of slipped from my finger, hit the wooden floor, jangle, 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 rolled across. The, you know, the, the way it slowly rolls, something you've dropped that you shouldn't have dropped can only roll in such an infinitesimally small way that everyone present can watch it slowly roll and then topple over and stay. And identify it. They could all go, that's his wedding ring. Mm -hmm. So I'm just staring Mm -hmm. at the ring going, I need to go and pick that up. And I can feel, as you say, the twin pinpoints of heat. I'm like, just don't, just don't engage. Just pick it up, put it back on. The the film is still playing. No one needs to. You go, right. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm like, and then I did it again, 10 minutes later, exactly yeah. the same thing. At which stage mm. Megan did, would you just, would you just put it back on? <laughs> well, it's not the, <laughs> I, the, yeah. <laughs> the next stage of, of wedding ring wearing, uh, TJ, is that you will, you will become accustomed to it uh, to the extent that you'll forget it exists and you'll forget that it's there until that one time that it isn't. Because you inexplicably, before you got into the shower or sometime that you wouldn't normally take it off, you took it yeah. off and you forgot <laughs> to put it back on. And, and yeah. that incredible sense of panic will come back to you. It'll be like an old, long lost friend. And you go, this is how I used to feel when I would fling the thing across the restaurant floor. Yeah. Where is it? Where have I put it? Oh, my God, has it fallen down the sink? You'll go through all of that stuff. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, uh, I have to say for, for us, what really changed was moving here. Because when the humidity goes up, <laughs> the jewellery comes off in this part of the world. Otherwise, it amputates your fingers. Ah, uh, yes. One, one of the things that happens in humidity is that you swell. And that, that can be quite painful. So now I probably wear mine. I, I wear it. I don't want to say uh, I wear it like a woman. But... Something I've always considered as a female thing to do is, oh, we're going out. Right. Let me go and get my jewellery, which is not something I would normally do. I, I tend to have, if I'm wearing, uh, I wear a neck chain with, mm. um, with a, a crucifix on it uh, and with a horn on it, it's a Sicilian thing. But I always wear that. It is never off me. Uh, and that's kind of my approach to jewellery. But now I'm at the point where I have a wedding ring and I have um, sort of various bracelets that go around my arm and stuff. And I put them on when we're going out somewhere. You know, we're getting dressed to go somewhere. Oh, let me put those on. And it's the same with the wedding ring now. But before we moved here, yeah, it was always on. I used to take it off for golf. That was mm-hmm. the only time I would take it off. And probably one time in four, there would be the usual panic. Uh, <laughs> A, a great yeah. thing about golf bags is that they have 24 pockets in them, which is really annoying when you can't remember which one you put your ring in. Um, and particularly if you've left your golf at the golf club and you drive home and you haven't got your ring and then you go back to the golf club and you go, oh. Which of these pockets, bags, cupboards, yep. lockers? Mm. And that sinking fit, oh no, I didn't drop it on the 14 acres of grass out there, did I? Oh my God, no. Um, but fortunately, 
I've never, I've never lost one. But I'm sure you won't lose yours. <laughs> it's a novelty. I'm very much enjoying it at the minute. But yeah, um, I, I keep getting daggers every time I drop it on something and it bounces across the floor. Because Megan doesn't do that. Megan is much smarter than me. And uh, <laughs> she'll take hers off to go horse riding. Um, yeah. And she'll put on one of the silicone ones that we got for her. Because then if it gets caught or something, it just snaps and there's no trouble. That's um, the other thing. I don't know if this is gender or just the fact that you and I are useless, but I would never, ever remember that sort of stuff. I, <laughs> I would turn up at the horse kit. Oh, I've got the wrong bloody ring on. What am I going to do now? Ah, oh. Just, just de-glove. It's fine. Whatever. If it oh, happens, just, it happens. Got I'll 10 just of them. put it in my pocket. Oh, no, it's jeans. <laughs> so I've got 11 pockets. Oh. Yeah. No, Megan, Megan was just not wearing... Because she, she was doing this when she had just her engagement ring. She would just take it off and, and then go to the yard and then come back and then put it back on. Um, mm-hmm. And that was fine. But um, we got her some silicone ones. I think it was a pack of 10 for like six quid or something. It wasn't expensive. Um, and she just wears only that now when she goes to the yard. Um, and I think that's a bit easier. But yeah, I would forget all the time. I forget to put my watch on. I forget to take my watch off. Um, I haven't forgotten the, the ring yet because it's just on all the time and it's very nice. But... <laughs> I presume if there was scenarios where I needed to take it off, I'd forget to take them off. And yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to uh, put it in that little tiny coin pocket, you know, the useless coin pocket that everyone has. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, it's going to end up in there sometime and then I'm going to forget it. Do the panic. Exactly. You, you will take your remember. jeans off. You will check your pockets 26 times and you won't find it. <laughs> That's like and crazy. then Meg will say, have you checked your jeans? And you'll say, yes, I've checked them loads of times. And she'll walk up to your jeans, go straight to the, the little coin pocket and go, there it is. Pull it out. Yeah, there it is. That's like, I had... Um, I'd lost the key to the shed. So we had the key for our shed. It's a big padlock on the shed where all the stuff in the, in the garden is because you don't have a garage. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd put stuff in the shed and come in and then gone about my day. And then I was like, I can't, where did I put the shed key? I've obviously put it down. I normally put it away, but it goes back on top of a cupboard, hangs on a hook, goes there and it's fine. I couldn't find it for about two weeks. Now I have a spare, so it was fine. Someone got the spare, which doesn't have a key ring or anything on it. And I was using it. And literally a full two weeks later, I put on a pair of jeans, stuck my hand in the pocket, find the oversized key ring that I deliberately put on this key to stop it getting lost. I went, ah, the, the, the shed key has been in these jeans for two weeks in my drawer. Okay, good. That's a good sign. Now, I, I'll tell you how similar we are. I came back from Hungary, where I'd stayed in a reasonably nice four-star hotel. And the key to the room, I kid you not, was on this, a key ring the size of a beer bottle. <laughs> and I found the key in the key ring two weeks later. Just about the same time as I got an email from the hotel saying, by the way, sir, you wouldn't happen to have our key, would you? <laughs> Please kindly post it back in an oversized envelope. <laughs> it was nine pounds to post it back. That's how much the bloody thing weighed. <laughs> I mean, how do you forget that sort of thing in your pocket, honestly? Wow. I think we're just crap. I don't know. We are. <laughs> Welcome to the old man edition of, uh, what's it called? 1922 or something? I can't remember. What it's Whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Some four numbers, never remember them. Road of the R mark, that's a good shout. Uh, right, so my parish notices then, uh, very quickly, uh, We've covered them, really. I was um, been focusing on my work setup. Uh, by focus, I mean spending money on. Uh, 
Uh, <laughs> They're the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I've spent a load of money, therefore my setup uh, will automatically be great, except nothing will happen for a few weeks until everything gets here, and then uh, doubtless I'll find it impossible to put stuff together. Anyway, um, uh, what I am finding handy, and this was, um, where, where did I pick this up from? Well, a few people I know that do this. Um, you might do it, actually. Switching contexts. Um, you know, it's sort of trying to to get different types of tasks uh, done i'm yeah. i'm working i will flick my hair as i say this except it would knock the headphones off so i won't and i'm working on the novel at the moment um which is uh, a nice way of saying i'm rewriting the bloody thing and i find it so much easier when i come in uh in the afternoon i've sort of cleared my desk of of other work um I, I wind the desk up and I pull my chair away and I get my standing mat and I put on music Oop, and I smash my microphone. Um, I put music on relevant to uh, the period that I'm writing about, which is uh, the early 90s. Um, so it's, it's quite a lot of rock music. Uh, and I start writing and it's, I just feel completely transported by the fact I've changed my, my context. You know, I'm suddenly mm-hmm. at a standing desk. Uh, and I've been finding that really, really useful, really productive. And I'm going to try and extend that. So I might record next week standing and see if there's any difference. Ooh. Yeah. I so. have, I mean, I do work downstairs. I'll, I'll work at the, the desk here in the office. Mm-hmm. I'll work at that most of the time. But every now and again, I find if I'm writing long form, and this will come on to the topic in a bit, when I'm writing longer form stuff, or I just need to sit down and focus, I find it easier to go down to the big IKEA armchair we have in the living room and sort of cozy up on that. Mm-hmm. Get a big pillow, put the laptop on my lap, put headphones on, put music on, and just sink into the task. Um, I find that a lot easier than than say sitting at my desk in a more sort of upright position, which is what I'm doing now. Sure. Um, yeah, I imagine that's the the kind of context change that they're talking about. But I don't mm-hmm. have the option of a sit stand, so it's more of just a sit sit, but just sit in a yep. different place. Yeah, just go somewhere else, do something else. I mean, people go to coffee shops, you know, back when we could do that sort of thing in the before um, times. Yeah. Uh, here, not in the summer, but other times of the year, I can go and sit, you know, nice little tables outside. Um, I'd last about four minutes if I did it. That would just be... <laughs> well, you do four minutes puddle. and then you turn over and you give yourself another four minutes and then you're done. Yeah. Barbecue's exactly. finished. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the flesh is just peeling off me at that point. Um, but I, I think it does make a difference. It, it, I, some sort of mind shift in the brain. I think it has I do to be. F- like, yeah. It's just that lizard, primeval lizard brain that we have. Stuck mm-hmm. in the vestigial past of our some back end of our brain, um, move to a different place, different thing happen. Human happy, thumbs up. You know, we're we're not we're complicated, but we're not complicated in that in that way. I think we can trick our brains by doing something really obvious, and our brain is like, yeah, this is different. Great, happy days. For sure, for sure. Right. Well, before we get onto the subject, we'll do the plug. Um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll do a three pin plug for me, and then we'll we'll see what you'll do. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> what used to be the three pin plug is now the 11 pin plug i think it's a it's a or it's an led light strip or something uh i'm Stu. you can find me at nero's notes uh, a wonderful purveyor of notebooks pens pencils and stationery ephemera um where there's uh all sorts of funky stuff coming we've i've been as well as spending a fortune on my setup, I've been spending lots and lots and lots of Nero's money getting new stock in. So there is graphite from the four corners of the world on its way. Ooh. Um, some funky new notebooks. 
lots of good stuff coming. So we've got Blackwing Eras. We've got Blackwing New Volume on the way. Um, almost certain that Field Notes will be announcing pretty soon. Uh, so there'll be a whole load of stuff coming. Um, you can also find me at stuartlannon.com, where uh, that's where I write, funnily enough, uh, and write about writing. If that isn't too meta. Uh, and you can also <laughs> find me, if you really, really, really have a lot of time on your hands, at lime, as in the fruit, consulting.com. It's where I talk about anti money laundering. Mm -hmm. It's not anything like as interesting as it might sound. What about you, TJ? Where can people find you? Well, I don't have three pins. I, I could muster two. I could muster a, a Canadian plug, an American plug. There's Wooden Graphite, which is my video channel, where I made over 150 little tiny documentaries about pencils, paper, and analog ephemera. You can watch that on YouTube. Just go and search it, Wood and Graphite on YouTube, and see if you, there's something there that uh, takes your fancy. Uh, I guess the other one could be my Instagram if you want to have a look there. I've sort of every now and again I post something vaguely interesting. You want to see pictures of coffee and food and my computers and keyboards. Uh, team underscore Cosgrove on Instagram. It's worth a look. What are we talking about? So today is a, an interesting topic, one that I don't think you were expecting and certainly that I had to explain because I in no way explained what we were talking about. Uh, and you'll have seen the title documentation it comes from something i've been doing recently and the, the context switch that i was talking about earlier where i went down and wrote uh long form on the the nice seat downstairs is i was writing documentation so i was writing instructions effectively for how to use uh some recording equipment so i'd set up some like little camera studio stuff and going through how to use this software, how to use the hardware, how to use the space, what it means, what it's for, blah, 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 blah. And the actual, what I was writing about doesn't really matter. It's largely just how I was writing. Uh, and it's not a form of writing that I was very used to and certainly not one that I've done before. And it's this kind of, it's documentation. That's the word I would use. It's not fiction. It's not nonfiction. It's, it's well, it's nonfiction plus, I suppose. It's, it's <laughs> factual, authoritative writing. It's, you know, instructions, it's statements, and it's very different than anything you'd normally write. And the, the difference in the sort of abnormal strangeness of it struck me in writing it because I'm going, this is really dense and it's a very different tone you're trying to strike. You're not trying to entertain anyone. You're not trying to enthuse anyone. You're not trying to be smart. You're not trying to come across a certain way. You're literally just trying to transfer information in the most concise, clear and hopefully non misunderstanding misunderstanding that's definitely not a word <laughs> you want you want to make sure that misunderstandings are at a minimum so you want to be absolutely clear in everything you say there can be no gray area in your statements it has to be do this do this don't do this do this and it's a very odd way to write if you're not used to it and i suspect given your background in uh, anti money laundering you may have a little bit more experience in this kind of writing, or at least in reading this kind of writing than I do. But certainly this is the first time I've ever had to write this way. It's the first time I've ever had to think this way. And it really did challenge my thoughts on what, how to write, because I love writing. I really enjoy writing. I, I may be crap at it, but I really enjoy it. And normally it's the, the kind of Terry Pratchett approach where you're trying to, I'm trying to make prose that I enjoy. 
this is not prose I enjoy. This is prose with a function. It's prose that, that is, is being held to a level of, of understanding. You need to be clear. It cannot be, it's, an, it's not a request and it's not a sort of enthusiastic, well, maybe you should do this. It's like, these are the rules. This is what happens. This is the procedure and the protocol and the statement, top to bottom. And it was just, yeah, yeah it's very, very different. And I expect you probably have a better grasp on it than I do. Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, I'm, I'm now a consultant. And we're, we're a very, very special breed. But before I was a consultant, um, working in, in financial services, as a, my job title was Group Operations Director, or God for short. And what, <laughs> what I had to, to do really was take a lot of instruction, regulation, guidance, uh, and those words have very specific meanings in financial services, um, and try and translate them into, um, you used a, a great phrase, um, sort of Ikea-esque iconography. Mm -hmm. Because your, you know, your young employee in their first job is not going to read guidance from HMRC and understand no. what's required of him or her. They... They want you to tell them in words that they understand, in language that they're familiar with, what it is you want from them. And you, you become a translator. You, you take in a lot of prose written in a very specific manner and try and turn that into the everyday. Mm -hmm. And of course, the danger is that you, you get it wrong and that you miss something and then misinstruct someone uh, yeah. And they end up getting in trouble and you get in trouble. As I then moved on to a consultant, I, that role of sort of translator interpreter becomes very, it becomes a liability role, it becomes the very essence of what you do. So regulation and guidance around financial services is absolutely a joke. It's utter nonsense. And this is what often happens when you get governments involved with businesses. Okay, they, they just they're not very good at it. Businesses are good at business, and governments are good at governments. But putting the two together never ends well, in my experience. So, I'll give you an idea of how laws work in the UK. I mean, I appreciate most people know this, but for the politicians decide that a certain thing needs to be regulated. Okay, mm -hmm. that there need to be laws to make sure that you don't go around and kill each other, for example. And they will then write, uh, they'll pass some law, which will be written in arcane, nonsensical language that means nothing to anybody who isn't a lawyer or a politician. Then somebody else, a body, an enforcer, an overseer or a supervisor, will try and write regulations to make those legislation work. And then... The enforcer, the regulator, will go to the industry concerned, so in this case financial services, and say, right, how do you think we should do this? And so industry decides or contributes to deciding how it should be policed. Um, <laughs> that never ends well for a start, because the people with the biggest wallets clearly have the most influence, because they have the most lawyers working on it, etc., etc. 
and you end up with this codified thing that I swear to you, most of my clients who are very intelligent business people have got no idea what these regulations mean or what they're for. Mm-hmm. And they read them and they're just like, what am I supposed to do? Tell me what I'm supposed to do and I'll do it. Yeah. Uh, and so my job essentially is to, I, mean, I wrote something when I was doing the show note. I was, the wind was in my sail. So I write a, a policy for a company and the policy around anti-money laundering policy document is essentially something that says, we know we're regulated. We read the regulations and we regularly regulate how regulated we are. That's what a policy says. <laughs> so a yeah. policy will say, it's our policy to do exactly what you said we should do in the regulations because we don't want you A, to fine us, B, to send us to prison or C, close us down. I mean, that's it. If you're a consultant, you can't do that because it's impossible to put in £25,000 bill for, for one sentence. You've got to do at least 50 pages. But that's all you're doing. You are saying that one thing in a lot of very, very big words. Then you turn and say, okay, boys and girls, now we need procedures. And procedures are all about... Uh, yeah. Each of those documents is an entirely different style for an entirely different purpose. And so it took me 20 odd years to learn this, but it's all about purpose. Yeah. When you're writing fiction and, you know, you're, you're channeling your Terry Pratchett um, and, you're, <laughs> and, you know, you're, you're looking for that wit and that humor, the, the purpose is to amuse and entertain. When you're writing your this is how you make A, B, or C work, then the purpose is to try and remove confusion. So I imagine the difficulty for you is of the 7,000 things that your setup can do, you want to accurately explain how to do the two things that the person might want to do. Yeah, and I think it's a function of any technology that you can't plan for everything people will do with it. So you have to plan for the, the kind of the broad swathe. And... It's trying to figure out what I am missing because I am accustomed to what I'm talking about. Uh, and it's, it's, you're trying to remove doubt. That's what I've sort of figured out. The, the whole point of all this is if someone has a question, you should answer it. If someone wants to do something, you should give them an, an instruction list for how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is only going to work if I think about it the same way as anyone who is not well-versed in it does. Mm-hmm. So... I've been doing filmmaking for the guts of 10 years. Yep. I've been using cameras and editing equipment and computers and all the sort of extraneous uh, ancillary stuff I've been using for, for closer to 20. I have a lot of knowledge sort of built up in the back end that I will reference without thinking about it. And so if I'm saying, yeah, yeah, well, it's just a PDF. I'm like, what is a PDF? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, it's, it's an acronym. Great. What does it do? Oh, well, it's like a Word document, but it's not a Word document. You can view it in the, right. Why, why would I want one? You know, you're, you're already in your assumption that they will know what you're talking about. You've confused them. And yep. then you have to explain what you were, you didn't think you needed to explain, but now you do have to explain it because you need to explain these 10 constituent parts before you can explain the one thing you're actually trying to show them how to use. And that kind of abstraction, that kind of thinking is really difficult to do when you're not used to doing it. And I quite enjoy 
abstracting things as just as an exercise. I like looking at something and what what are we actually doing here? You know, what is a camera if not a way to turn light into ones and zeros? That's effectively all it's doing. And so if you think like that, it's a lot easier to try and process these tasks into a set of one to ten instructions. But those assumptions are the dangerous thing. And and no, assuming someone will know what you're talking about whenever you say A, B, or C, when they don't know what the alphabet is, is really, really dangerous. Yeah. Because you're going, yeah, yeah, just do this. And you're like, well, I don't know what that is. So I would do one if I knew what I was talking about. And for me, it was really interesting because while I was writing this stuff, it was like, okay, well, I can't, I can't speak like that because that's not authoritative. You can't say, would you please kindly, if you get a moment, think about maybe doing that? Because then they're going to go, should I do it or should I not do it? Is that the right thing to do or is it just what you're asking me to do? You need to be like, this is what you need to do. Do this, do this, do this. There's no please. There's no thank you. You don't need to be polite in instruction. You're, you're instructing someone. They're there for the information. And you're trying to convey it concisely. A couple of times I've written stuff and then I've gone back. What I'll tend to do is write the entire document or write the entire thing I'm trying to write. And then I go back to the start and I realize how bad I was at the beginning of the document and then rewrite the start to the middle where I started getting good. And so I go back to the start. I'm like, yeah, you can't use we because you're not talking about collective. You're talking about, an instru- you know, don't say please because that's not necessary, even though it is nice to, to be polite. You, you, it's not necessary for what we're trying to do. Uh, don't give it that kind of tone because it's not. Like, am I introducing doubt by going, if you fancy it, give this a go? And you're like, no, no, no. If they want no. it to work, they need to do that. You can't, yeah. if you fancy it on a Tuesday, if the weather's just right, stick your finger in the air. Yeah, the wind looks good. We'll try that. No, 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 no. If you want the video to work, do this. And that that kind of authoritative writing is not natural for a lot of things because I think if you write like that normally, it would be considered quite I don't know, egotistical, quite sort of, certainly a bit, what's the word I'm looking for? It's it's not a pleasant experience to talk to someone who speaks to other people like that, if that's just your conversational tone, because it's not very social. It's sure. not very polite. It's not very pleasant, but it is clear. And I think the, the sort of clear and conciseness is what we're looking for. And it, it made me think about stuff like IKEA and in instructions. IKEA has done away with words. You know, IKEA is a, is a global company and they tell you how to build their furniture without any words, which is a marvelous sort of approach to something that you'd imagine would probably need one or two words. And they go, no, 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 pictures. Everything's a picture. But then in a picture, it's the same problem. You have to be concise. You can't assume someone knows what an Allen key is. You have to show them a picture of an Allen key and then put the Allen key in their hand and go, that's the thing you're using to turn this, turns this way, goes clockwise, give them, our, you know, even then, it's the same considerations, even though you're not using words. For sure. And I think the, there's a, an intersection as well where you, I, something you said struck me there, uh, acronyms. Mm-hmm. I have a, uh, a sort of stock presentation that I use, you know, slide deck uh, called Alphabet Soup, where <laughs> um, if you're speaking at a conference, you, um, you, well, you is a bit presumptuous. I think of, okay, what's new and exciting in the industry? What do these people want to hear about? Yeah. Um, and inevitably, 
I start thinking like an expert in the subject matter. Now, the chances are the people that are sitting in the audience are not experts in the subject matter. They're related to the subject matter. The subject matter can get them closed down, get them in trouble, even get them in prison, but they're not experts in it. They don't want the nuance of the latest development. They, they, want, they want the TLDR and they want it in <laughs> big punchy words <laughs> and they want it yeah. presented with uh, absolute certainty. Even yeah. if I'm talking nonsense. Yeah, <laughs> it's got to be, this is black, this is white. Don't give me grey. And yeah. all UK regi- uh, legislation and regulation is written in grey. Intentionally. Because then if, <laughs> if the regulator has got it wrong, they can still hammer you because they can say, actually, it's a dark shade of grey. So it covers them and everybody's covering yeah. themselves, as previously explained. So businesses want black and white. And my job is to correctly interpret the grey and put it into black and white terms. And that's exactly the same with instructions. There are a hundred ways to put together any piece of IKEA furniture, but they don't give you options. Yeah, there's a hundred ways to do it. One of them is right. Well, um, I, I'm sure you've never done this because you're far too handy. But they also have now an option, um, the sort of the deal with it button. So when you're going down to the incredibly complicated delivery service, that, you know, for some... The IKEA can't organise proper delivery is, is beyond me. But anyway, you go to them and they get a third party to do your delivery at a huge cost and they, it's a whole communication nightmare and blah, blah, blah. But you can also hire a man to come put it all together. <laughs> and what amused me the most when I did it here in, in Cyprus when we were set this place up as a holiday home was that uh, the guy that came was Norwegian, which I just tickled me. Here we are in Cyprus buying from a Swedish retailer and they send along a Norwegian to put it all together. There's, there's got to be a Scandinavian joke in there. Uh, Andre, that's not what it is. Anyway, um, this guy turned up and he did everything backwards. He didn't do anything in the order that the instructions were there. I know because I was looking at the instructions and he's just doing his own thing. But he does this every day, all day, yeah. and could do it with his eyes closed. Um, but you can't have that within the instructions because as you say the other 98 ways to do it are wrong and you will end up with the <laughs> with the shelf upside down and the bed hanging off the wall or something um and when you're creating those instructions it needs to be a journey and it's exactly the same with a with a procedure um that i'm talking about which i suppose is slightly more abstracted than yours but the you need to take somebody down this road and sure there are turnings mm-hmm. off but we're not talking about those. If you want to, to learn about those, then you want to become a, an expert photographer. Great. You know, go and do a course. <laughs> go and read a lot of books. Go that's and study. Beyond, yeah. <laughs> but that's I think not I what used the term, here. this is beyond the scope of this documentation. I think I wrote that in, for, for one of the things I was talking about. I, I can see a bright like, future for you as a consultant. <laughs> it's important, and you can do an awful lot with it, but I'm not going to tell you how. That's your problem to find out. Exactly. High. Yep. If you press this button, you're on your own, buddy. Um, <laughs> that's it. It's got an automatic setting for a reason, Muppet. Yeah. Um, and, and that's exactly the tone that you have to achieve. And it, you're right. It is a skill. And there are professional, mm. um, you know, technical writers. And you see the, the pitches, or I've seen pitches for them, where, you know, writing the manual for 
don't know, an LG monitor. I was looking at one of those earlier. Oh, blimey. Um, but it becomes, I think, very formulaic. Yeah, I'm and sure there's probably a, ma a monitor manual <laughs> sort of template, and you just yeah. go, uh, control find name, replace with name of monitor, done, print. But that's, that's what you will now have. So you now have a, a, a document template. You might not realize it yet, but you're probably going to rewrite that document a hundred times with slight <laughs> variations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's certainly what, don't tell anyone, but it's certainly what consultants do. So, you know, I can get an email tomorrow saying, we'd like you to come and speak to the conference of uh, shoe shiners. And I can go, okay, I can find the right slide deck. I can uh, change a few titles, put in the word shoe shiners here and there. Um, yeah. And, you know, take that template and build something out from it. I'm not belittling consultants. Don't, please, consultants, don't email me. I know you work very hard. <laughs> um, but you do have your own stock of templates and things that you, you know, you start from. So uh, I'm at the moment, I talked about doing screencasts and screen flows and all that stuff just to, so that we can remotely work. There are going to be essentially, the main body of a presentation is going to be almost agnostic you know i can point that at anyone as long as i put yeah. the right introduction on the front and the and the right finish on the end you can use it for different uh, different types of clients make some small variations but it comes from that base template and getting the template right is why the formulas exist yeah where you know everything you i'm, I'm sure lawyers are the same you know, if, if you ask a lawyer to write a contract, he doesn't just sort of spit it out of his head. He's going, yeah, okay, start right, from this, zero. Yeah, this is a basic tort contract or this is a basic um, uh, exchange contract or whatever it might be. Uh, he's got one of those that he did for another client. He changes this, changes that, poof, off it goes. Um, but it's fun. I th well, is it fun? I, I find it fun to, to try a new uh, sense of writing. Have you, yeah. have you ever written out of your comfort zone? Have you sat down and said, I'm going to write a poem? You should do that. No, I've you, never written a poem. I should give that a go. I, most of my writing, so I've done a lot of mm, nonfiction utility writing, I would call it. Mm -hmm. So sort of like writing for blog posts and, and like my background is sort of steeped in marketing. So there's a lot of like writing promotional content, writing, you know, tweets and stuff like that, website copy, sure. things like that. There's a lot of stuff in there that is it's you know non-fiction you know it's all factual stuff but it's well none of it's marketing. sort of <laughs> you know what i mean so you're trying yeah. to sell a product or talk about a thing or promote something uh, and so it's it's like we have to be accurate but we can also be you know give it a flourish and be excited about it and what sure. tone are we trying to convey and yeah there's a lot there's a lot more in there than just this is the thing we're we're trying to sell please buy it um so that's the kind of writing in itself. And I've done a lot of that. And I've done a lot of writing for uh, that kind of writing you have to do in, in modern sort of office-based life where you're just writing emails. And mm -hmm. so you kind of, you've accidentally fallen into that legalese business speak jargon. You know, oh, let's take this offline and let's do this. And this is a weird kind of writing that, that exists only in email where you talk. Sometimes I find myself talking as if I'm a robot. Mm -hmm. Like, excellent, let's process that next week whenever we come to the... Th You're like, no, 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 stop. Talk like a human being. Speak to them because you know these people. You've spoken to them many times. Speak to them as you would speak to them in person. 
-hmm. And it comes across much more personable. It comes across much more pleasant. And generally, the responses I get from that kind of email where I'm being me are better than the business business ones. But, you know, Mm -hmm. they still have a time and a place and, you know, front facing, client facing, all that stuff. You can't necessarily just be, you know, cheeky jovial yourself. You, You have to be the sort of smart business casual version of yourself. Sure. And that's fine. So that's, I have done a lot of different kinds of writing, but they're all variations on a theme. And for my own enjoyment, my own fun, I do write a little bit of fiction on the side. And that's just, I, I realized I was writing like Terry Pratchett before I'd read any Terry Pratchett. There's a lot of stuff in there that I'm going, this is kind of like a, I like Douglas Adams. I like this kind of science fiction and fun stories and interesting ways of, of talking about something that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of non sequiturs, a lot of interesting uh, sort of cold opens, things like that. And I write like that because I enjoy it. I don't really share it with anyone or, or share it anywhere. I may do, but it's not for now. And sure. I really enjoy that. It's probably the most fun I have writing words. But it's not for anything. I'm not trying to do anything with it apart from write well. That's my only obligation to myself. Um, whenever I did this, whenever I wrote sort of documentation, it was a very different mindset a very different kind of writing and I, I actually did thinking back i really enjoyed the challenge i really enjoyed going right okay i know how to write i'm not stupid i you know i have gcses i know how to put words in front of each other i would say i think about it a little bit more than most people because i like and enjoy language and this is a challenge this is not something that i've done it's not something that's straightforward and it's a case of, okay, well, what am I trying to do? And how do I do it? And does that sound right? And does this sound right? And you kind of have to piece it together. It's like Lego. You kind of piece it together and go, no, it's not quite right. And then you take it apart a wee bit and then you put it back together. Yeah, oh, it's closer. It's better. Take it apart again. Put it back together. And yeah, that's, that's the tone we need to strike. Now, how can I? And then you look back at everything you've done up until this point and all of it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And you go back to the start and go, right, start again. Do this that way now. Yeah, that's, uh, so that's yeah, my experience of all writing. <laughs> yeah, you finish writing a great. That's now that I've learned how to write, I'll go back and start writing. I mean, for me, um, very similar. Okay, so I've written a lot of worky stuff. Um, I think I mentioned it the other day. I was counting them. I wasn't physically counting, but my blog was 170,000 words so far. Um, I wrote 80,000 words for my dissertation at university. Um, the the draft the drafts of the of the novel i'm working on at the moment come to about oh, 190,000 words so there were two novels uh, which i then put into one and, uh, anyway um but even within a simple context whether that be a dissertation or the the novel the novel's the one that's fresh in my mind okay so i know how to write i i can write funny i think i can write um tense i can write uh, exciting because there are there are techniques that you can read about you, there are people that you can you know emulate whether consciously or subconsciously you know Douglas Adams and Pratchett and you talked about it, or if you want to write something that's uh, you know very punchy and very um, dramatic then you can think of um, I don't know, John Grisham or uh, Jeffrey Archer if you want you know uh, there are people who are competent at doing this and there are certain mechanisms mm. and techniques that you can use and that's fine if they are the things that come to you. So you quite enjoy that science fiction, humorous, slightly sort of looking at the world through an odd mirror. Yeah. 
You like doing that. Okay, now write a sex scene. That, that, <laughs> yeah, me cringe and go, oh, I'm oh, gonna write that. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you and I both, both being, you know, sort of Celts and, and sort of A-levels in guilt, but the, the stuff that you have to, to face just in one project because at some point, if you're writing like I am, going, I keep hitting my microphone. Um, if you're writing a thriller, um, the chances are there's going to be some sex in it. Now, you can write that lots of different ways. You can write 45 pages of people swinging from chandeliers and jumping off wardrobes. Or you can <laughs> just have, you know, the bedroom door closing suggestively. Yeah, you can have a fade to black type situation. <laughs> yeah, and, and everything in between. Um, and, you know, it's, it's what I'm facing at the moment. I'm sitting there going, oh, how do I write? Oh, hmm. And if you, <laughs> if you go looking online, that's a terrible, terrible mistake. Because... <laughs> what, what Search can, history alone. <laughs> well, yeah, but what you can find online is people getting it really badly wrong. That, that you can get a lot of that. There's a lot of talk about people writing sex badly. Much less talk about them writing it well. And... Any area that you're not very comfortable with. I know someone who, um, uh, somebody was, uh, Amanda looked at a draft that I'd written. She was like, you've done a description of this place. It's brilliant. But I've got no idea what the character looks like. Yeah. Because I've just not addressed that at all. Um, and, you know, the discussion goes on. Because, uh, you heard of Rebus? The, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, there are, I think, 30-odd Rebus novels, something like that. Not in a single one is he described. Huh. And yet everybody who's ever read them knows what he looks like. Um, it may well be that they've taken the TV character, or it may be that they've just created their own picture and your Rebus looks very different from my Rebus. But um, he's never, ever described. Which is, you know, to me, fascinating. Yeah and indicates how good a writer Rankin is because he's conjured this image without ever having to give you the image. Say it. it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you conjured the image for him? For sure. So, um, you know, all, I think in any writing project, and okay, it's probably not quite as wide-ranging in an instruction manual or in a, a, a procedures document, but it's working out how to write those things and communicate those things that aren't natural to you. Because you want yeah. to make someone laugh. You want to enthuse someone. That's, that's very much the T.J. Cosgrove character, is to enthuse someone. That's why he talks so passionately about pencils. or um, <laughs> Anything else. And you've got to avoid doing that in a procedural document because the person reading it is yeah. going, I don't, I don't care that this thing does this amazing thing. I want yeah, it I had to, to, take to film me. Like... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I had to take out two or three jokes. I'm like, you can't write a joke in an instruction manual. It's not okay. And maybe yeah. it would be, maybe it'd be great. But for the first draft anyway, when you're sending it off to people who are going to read it and use it, I can, do I do the goof because I, I want the goof or yeah. do I write it properly because that's the harder thing. That's the, the sort of more professional, more, that's the task I'm trying to achieve. And that would be a better test of my abilities than just reverting to something I know I can do which is normally I can say something frivolous or silly and make people giggle. Well, That's easy. The secret to that is turn it into the presentation. So the slide deck, strictly business, and then weave the goof around it when you're presenting. That's, that's the Weave the do. goof? 
That's it. Weave the gear. That's exactly what I do. Okay. I get on really well at conferences. Um, gem, gem, uh, usually because of my display drinking the night before, but I can, um, I can make all the, the gags. I can make people laugh. I can make myself identifiable. I can make the whole thing seem less unexciting than it is. But then when they go away and they look at their conference back at the end, there's a very dry set of facts in the, uh, in the slide deck. And that's how you do it. You, your yeah. procedural manual has to be, I think, you know, very to the point, very directional. You want to take people down a prescribed journey to get to an end point. And you want them to ignore all the little turnings off. But when you're talking to them about when you're doing your training session or your familiarization seminar or whatever you want to call it, that's when you can put a little goof around it. That's yeah. what you should do. You should do a little film video that accompanies the, the procedural manual. <laughs> yes. I'll dress up in a white lab coat and stand around. <laughs> exactly. I'd get your hair all frizzed out and stuff. It'd be perfect. It did right. funny enough, the, the kind of this writing kind of reminded me of NASA. NASA is, is a It reminded me of NASA. Why were you at NASA? <laughs> you mean? No, no, no. Like the idea of like NASA, I've read a lot of NASA tech, technical okay. documents. I, I've read an awful lot of them because I find them fascinating. And they are all business. You know, mm -hmm. low earth orbit, orbital mechanics, uh, regulation of fuel quantities for, you know, liquid fueled rockets. You can't mess around. People's lives literally depend on you getting this right. The science has to be right. The analysis has to be right. Everything has to be 100% on the money. And it, the documents are fascinating because, you know, you're looking at stuff from the 60s, 70s, when mm -hmm. computers were people and calculators were people and the documents that you're looking at were written on a typewriter or maybe, maybe some sort of letter set typeset machine. Um, and so they're, they're from a different time, but this, this kind of technical professional writing is very much front and center. But then when you look at all of the media surrounding the space race and NASA and things like that, it's all about emotion. It's mm -hmm. all about, you know, um, this kind of pride and patriotism and the conquering the, the world and beyond the world. And the, the emotion that's sort of put into those things is all in the media, but the documentation that makes it possible, it's all business. And that's the kind of, the sort of division that I came to when I was looking at this. I was like, this is really fascinating and I'm enjoying writing it because it's very different. But I almost want to do the NASA thing where you're like, the documentation, as you say, on the money, professional, everything's, everything is dotted and, and crossed perfectly. But then the weave the goof, as they say, into the presentation and the other bits, the extraneous ancillary surrounding pieces, you can have a little bit of fun with those because they're not as sort of mission critical, to use the NASA term. Well, that's, ah, that's where we take issue. Um, I think the reason that um, some people do much better in, in my field than others is because the first part, that documentation side and the, the T's and the I's, that's an exercise in, uh, what's it? If you keep at it, you will get it right. If you're persistent, you will get to a mm -hmm. place where it's right. But a really good consultant gets the foot soldier to understand it. It doesn't matter if you write the best procedures in the world. If nobody reads them, then they haven't worked. 
And that's, that's the trick of that goof. Your goof is to get them through to that destination point, particularly as they might, it might be a place they don't particularly want to get to. <laughs> so that's yeah. where you sort of drag them through. And I, th I think, you know, I find it fascinating. Obviously, that's why I do it. But um, the, the writing is one part of it. And it's working out how to get your message across both correctly in, in a very sort of strict it's right or it's wrong sense, but effectively yeah. uh, in an emotional sense. And you can't, I, I, I don't think you can do that in the writing because as you, you can't write a joke. People will just no. take it wrong. <laughs> yeah, you can't it'll detract, it. it'll, it'll make the rest of it look less professional. Yeah. And so the weight behind your words is impacted by you trying to include wit where it's not necessary or wanted. And the other thing is, if you don't listen to 13 Minutes to the Moon, I am going to have to come across and hit you. Because you, <laughs> you, you will absolutely adore that for all of the reasons you just explained about NASA. Right. It's very, I'm going to write it down for the ninth time in show notes. <laughs> it's uh, just, just some of the detail will absolutely press your button. You know, the detail of why things worked or didn't work. Yeah. Uh, which they've, they, they, I mean, some people knew at the time and others discovered after the time. Um, it, it's breathtaking. Absolutely breathtaking. Um, I mean, how they got to the moon with all those elastic bands and bits of masking tape is, is beyond me. <laughs> um, <laughs> it'll be right up your street. And I, I dare say there were some cracking manuals there too. Oh, there are. Elio on a budget. There's some really, really good. I'll, I'll maybe put a couple in show notes. Um, I've read a lot of them just for the crack because that's the kind of person I am. But they are <laughs> dense. I'll bet. Um, I mean, but yeah, just, in comparison to the sort of you know, the computing that was available, they were sort of, you know, they're documenting the ones and the zeros, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. rather, rather than sort of us looking at 35 levels of abstraction. And these, you know, beautiful graphic interfaces. Yeah. These guys are looking at sort of, you know, green ones and zeros on a screen. No, I don't know if that's true. There might be white ones and zeros. Who knows? Anyway. <laughs> Another time. Mm. Well, listen, I've got to go and write a sex scene. So I've been Stu Lennon. And I've been TJ Cosgrove. Remember to make the past, the present, in the future. This was a well-documented episode of 1857. Go and write some documentation for it, and that's the real skill. Really? What, for sex? <laughs> Maybe that's a different kind of book. 